Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. On this episode, shot on location for the first time at the old St. Ferdinand Shrine in Florissant, we speak with Roger Goldman, a national expert on police certification about where Missouri is and where we are nationally in dealing with police licensing issues. Right, everybody, welcome to the Alad Pod. We have a wonderful special guest today. We are on the road. Uh, there is an endorsement drive-in meeting here in Florissant, so we wanted to make sure we made that. Uh, so we're, we're on the road in the parking lot of the historic old St. Ferdinand Shrine. Uh, and folks are already looking at us because they're wondering why in the world is a camera out here. But the reason is because we have a fantastic town hall for you today. It is with Professor Roger Goldman. He is the nation's expert in police licensing. Uh, I've had a wonderful opportunity to talk to him early on in the campaign about potential police reforms, how Missouri's doing, and you know whether we can expand or you know how well are we doing already in this area. So I know that this is a very important issue for uh, a lot of us who've been working in, in the justice area for a long time, so I'm excited to have him on today. Roger, can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. Well, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, if you could, uh, so Roger's done wonderful work in this area. I, you know, obviously I'm bringing him on because I think he's got a lot to share, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to everybody, uh, let them know the work that you have, uh, been doing and, um, you know, why, why you got involved in, in all of this in the first place. Okay. Well, uh, uh, one of the reasons I'm the nation's expert, I'm one of the few people very interested in this issue. Uh, it's not going to be well known to your viewers, but it's something very important. And a little later on, while well connected to the events in Minnesota. Uh, but basically, it's a very um, uh, simple concept. The idea that the state license, licenses police the way the state licenses social workers, doctors, lawyers, you name it. Uh, we just don't think of that role that the state has uh, for police. And uh, the reason I got interested in this topic was that several years ago, 40 years ago, in fact, there was a horrific incident of a uh, police lieutenant uh, who worked in uh, Maplewood and who would uh, have a very bizarre way of getting, trying to get confessions from suspects. And one of the ways was to handcuff the suspect and play Russian roulette. Mm. And uh, when he would do it, um, apparently some of his patrolmen would watch uh, him do it. And uh, even if the gun didn't go off, uh, it was often effective in getting a confession. So unbeknownst to this Lieutenant Cerbello, uh, the two patrolmen uh, played the game with a um, uh, mentally challenged suspect who was thought to have tried to cash a $40 travel, uh, stolen cashier's check, and the gun did go off, and it killed uh, the young man named Tom Brown. Um, uh, they, of course, were prosecuted later on. But the, the, the sad, well, of course, his death was terribly sad, but the, the fact is that despite that misconduct, uh, Sorbello was hired knowingly 
by the chief of a small uh, town in North County mm. called Bridgeton, uh, Bridgeton Terrace. And uh, even despite the fact that uh, he, he knew about his uh, prior misconduct, he hired him part-time. Uh, but since he worked in Maplewood, it was only a part-time job, he went back one night to Maplewood and saw someone sitting in his car, um, turned out to be African-American. He assumed that the, he was going to steal the car. He told him to get out of the car, and the fellow fled, and he shot him in the back and killed him. Mm. Uh, so uh, I couldn't believe it. I was working with the local ACLU at the time that uh, that we did not have a process in Missouri that would have prevented him after that uh, Russian roulette incident uh, from going uh, and getting another job. And that's when I learned about, after doing some extensive research in Florida, the existence of something called uh, a licensing and decertification law. Mm. And um, that motivated me to, and really that's been my life's work ever since, working all over the country, um, starting with actually in Missouri. And what your, uh, your, your viewers may not know is that Missouri has a very strong uh, decertification law. In fact, um, we are in the top 10 in the country in terms of decertifications. Uh, we have decertified the state of Missouri, a thousand police officers, meaning they cannot work again in law enforcement in the state again. Um, and uh, that puts us about ninth or 10th in the country. Wow. Uh, now, the tie-in to what we've all been witnessing in Minnesota is that Minnesota's law is very weak. Compared to Missouri, which in the last survey had decertified 53 uh, police officers, in that same survey in 2015, Minnesota had only decertified two. Mm. So the um, uh, question is, um, with respect to um, uh, uh, Chauvin, the uh, officer who, who killed um, uh, George, Floyd, George Floyd, there were several complaints with the Minnesota, um, Minneapolis Police Department against him. Only two were sustained. And the question that I think we hopefully will know the answer to, were any of those complaints serious enough that they should have led to his lack of decertification in Minnesota? And I told him Minnesota had a very weak law. But if it turns out that uh, he had done something in those 10 complaints that would have given indication he might do something like this, can you imagine the difference result? Right. He would not force that day to confronted um, um, Floyd. Yeah. yeah. So that's really the tie-in to the importance of this concept of decertification. It's a preventive action, um, taking people out of uh, just like you do other many other occupations um, to prevent future misconduct. So, so how, that's the, how 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 is it how does it work? So so uh, I mean, it sounds like there's this is a statewide licensing uh, system. Is that right? Correct. Every peace officer in Missouri has to be licensed by the state post, Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission. It's part of the Department of Public Safety. There's an obligation if uh, of chiefs to uh, turn in people if they've committed a decertifiable offense, if they suspect that. And then there's a hearing before an administrative hearing officer in Jeff City. Uh, and the uh, sanction, which can be anywhere from probation to suspension, and the ultimate one is decertification, removing your license, actually, it's since removal, that's up to the head of the Department of Public Safety. Mm -hmm. And so those numbers of 1,000, um, I think, would be surprising to your audience that Missouri is one of the best uh, processes in the country. Yeah, no, that's, um, 
So where, where, you know, you're talking about an administrative process. So, I mean, I guess it sounds like there's, there's certainly due process involved in that. What does, what does that look like here in Missouri? Well, again, think of so many other um, uh, occupations that I assume the attorney general may staff some of those. Right. That is, you you have a hearing. Um, It's not an individual complaint filed, but it's up to uh, the chiefs to turn it in. But if a newspaper reporter has a story, I'm always sending things to the state post to say Mm -hmm. to the folks there, have you heard about this case? Because the director of public safety himself can initiate the proceeding. So, of course, there's due process. Uh, a right of appeal. It goes before the uh, this administrative hearing officer, whose the question for him is: Did the officer commit police officer commit a decertifiable offense as defined in the statute? Um, and in Missouri, uh, the statute includes uh, like abuse of citizen, sexual misconduct, which is very very common. My first study in Florida uh, showed that the great majority of officers who we decertified there involved driving while female, arresting a woman. Uh, he may have had a lot of points towards losing the license and then say, let's have sex. And, uh, and that, of course, leads to many, many decertifications. I got the AP to do a series of stories a few years ago. And over a five-year period, a 1,000 officers around the country were decertified for uh, that type of sexual misconduct. Many involved minors, trafficked young girls who the officer believed never, would never be believed, or even uh, equally horrific uh, victims of crime, a woman who who claims the husband, uh, you know, assaulted her, raped her. The officer comes by and consoling her, and then has sex with her. So yeah. Um, yeah. it's a it's you know a variety of things can result in decertification. And Missouri has a very broad statute that, as I say, has uh, been very effective. About thirty thousand officers nationally have lost their license, mm-hmm. uh, which I most people are unaware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Do, does every state have this? So what's interesting is uh, when I teach criminal procedure, I always ask my law students after describing what that process is, guess which states don't have it? Uh-huh. And you can imagine the answer, Mississippi, Alabama, and guess the states that in fact don't have it, California, uh-huh. Hawaii, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Rhode Island. And I asked the students, why do you think those very progressive blue states don't have it? Anybody in the audience uh, want to give me an answer? I'll play law professor here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Get some input. If anybody's got guesses, put it in the comments. Any guesses? Yeah. Well, time click. You know, the, the clock is running out. Yeah. Police unions. Yeah. Very opposed to it, even yeah, though. Someone got it. Linda Smith got it, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, Linda, you get the award. There you uh, go. You get uh, the, uh, uh, and, the re- and in fact, if you ask a police uh, uh, a union, why would you be opposed to something like decertifying people for, you know, abusive force, um, sexual misconduct, perjury? And the answer always is, well, I'm in for getting rid of those people, but it's hard to run for union office on a platform of more regulation. Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to expand the, uh, in a lot of states that do have it, I told you the states that don't, it's a very, very weak law. Because in, say, Illinois, they only decertify if the person has been convicted of a crime. But think about other professions here. Is a barber only decertified or loses license if he is convicted of a crime or a lawyer? No. So the commission of misconduct, and that's why Missouri's law is so good, uh, can result in loss of license just as a conviction of felonies and certain serious misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, in Missouri, um, you know, you mentioned uh, municipalities in the St. Louis area. You were a professor at St. Louis University. 
Um, you know, we we've got a lot of we got a lot of them in this area. I'm in one right now. Um, you know, so we hear stories of officers who were in one municipality, might have gotten terminated there, moved to another one, and were able to find jobs there. How does the decertification process play in, in, in that kind of a movement from one municipality to the other? Well, it's a wonderful question because I didn't go back to tell you how this, who was the main person to testify that we got this bill through back in 1988. It was Clarence Harmon. Your audience might know, remember him, chief of police, sure. mayor of St. Louis. But when I worked with him and the ACLU, he was internal affairs of the city. And when he testified in Jefferson City and I was there, that very question was asked. And he said in 90% of the cases, when he had to let an officer go, uh, fire from St. Louis, or the officer resigned under fire, within a week he'd be working for one of those small departments. And in fact, Breckenridge Terrace is, was, uh, Breckenridge, uh, 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 Bridgeton Terrace is Bridgeton. one of those small departments. So that's absolutely a problem. There's a term for it called municipal shuffle. Mm -hmm. And after Ferguson, uh, uh, event several years ago, a group out of Washington called PERF, Police Executive Research uh, uh, Foundation, came in and discovered how common that problem was. But again, we've decertified a thousand people in the 88. It's not to say, in fact, then auditor Claire McCaskill found out that, in fact, uh, some of these departments weren't cooperating with the Post and weren't sending in the name. So it's mm. still a problem, but we are so much better off than we were. But you're absolutely right. That was, and this is true all over the country. Pittsburgh, any place with a lot of small departments, um, are tempted to hire someone like the Brick Breckenridge uh, uh, Bridgeton Terrace did, because that's a very a community that's not small but has very little resources, no tax base to speak of. And if you're trying to have a police department there, how are you going to raise the money? You don't have much money, so you're willing to hire somebody who has their license from the state, so they've been through training, and wink at or ignore the previous misbehavior because somebody once said, it's the economy, stupid. Mm -hmm. We don't pay their salary while they're going through training. We don't have to pay their training. We've got a live body. But it's, it's a problem not just here but all over. But at least we've taken a, a step forward, not to say we can better, but you're, you're absolutely right. That was the origin of why why we even got the law through in the first place. Yeah. Well, folks, folks who are listening, I know we've got a few more who've, who jumped on. If you've got any questions, we, we are monitoring those. Go ahead and put those in the comments. Um, okay, so, so we've talked about, uh, you know, Missouri has taken a big step forward with uh, certification and, and making sure that we can revoke licenses, uh, giving officers due process and everything else. What, what would you say we should still be doing? What improvements should we make to this process or to others for accountability within police departments? Okay. Well, first of all, the, the states, uh, as, I spe as I said, Missouri has been extraordinarily effective, uh, again, with your point, not perfect, with respect to law enforcement officers. But many states, specifically Georgia and Florida, have extended their post to have jurisdiction over corrections officers. In fact, in Florida, the last survey in 2015 Three times the number of corrections officers were decertified or lost their license as compared to uh, law enforcement officers. So I think we ought to expand the occupations that are covered uh, by the post, uh, because uh, I would say all criminal justice uh, officers, because you know they have they have the power over people, especially you know in prisons, especially, and sexual abuse is quite common. Uh, but Missouri, 
I don't even think, and this is something that you could probably tell me, that we even have any jail standards or any mandatory training for county sheriffs, uh, county deputies. Uh, that's definitely something we think we need to look at, and post would be the place to house that, uh, give them jurisdiction over that. Yeah, I totally agree, and that's actually something that uh, I've been talking about quite a bit on the campaign in terms of trying to bring, using the attorney general's office to bring best practices to a lot of places that oftentimes don't have the resources. Uh, it's really easy not to have accountability when, uh, you know, maybe your department's very small um, and no one's really paying too much attention. Uh, but, uh, you know, in, in the world now, it's a lot easier to do that, especially with the technology that we've got all around us. Right. And, and you really do, do raise another point of what I'd like to see. As uh, your viewers are going to know, if a school district is failing, you can lose accreditation. If a police department is failing, you ought to be able to lose the accreditation for that department. That's another uh, uh, bill that I'd like to see get through. Practices who take over law enforcement, but if those are the two most important things that a local, uh, you know, municipality has to do: education and policing. Uh, and a couple of states now have started to talk about decertification of departments rather than individual officers. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh... I mean, what would that what would that look like? Because I mean, we've had, uh, you know, in our state, in, in different places, in St. Louis, we've had, um, you know, districts that have lost accreditation, and uh, you know, that's that's started putting in, uh, into effect some other laws, allowed transfers this way and the other. Um, you know, what would you know? Because there's always this kind of debate, and I, I hear it in education a lot, where uh, folks are saying, "Well, if if you do a bad thing, we're going to take money away," um, whereas other folks are saying, "Well, if you're not doing so well, maybe we need to put more money in." Um, so, you know, what, what's kind of, I guess, when you look at, at policing or, or even corrections, but the justice system as a whole, what, what, what do you think about that situation where you've got kind of these two competing theories about how to fix the problem? Yeah, no, it's, it's really a great question. And, uh, 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 but if you had a department that, let's, let's take a department that was actually taken over by a crime syndicate, uh, you know, uh, it, it just hypothetically, sure. uh, and, uh, would you say to that department they should still be in charge of, uh, you know, of policing? Uh, so, but who's going to take over is a very good practical question. But sometimes, uh, well, like the police departments, uh, St. Louis County took over, I believe, Jennings policing. Mm, uh, so okay. or maybe the county uh, has to do it. Uh, but but uh, at some point when things get so bad, uh, we do have to think, think about that. Yeah. But it's absolutely right, politically difficult. Um and my guess is the Post really wouldn't want to take this on. But uh, if things get really bad, we need to think about some creative alternatives. That's really, I mean, it's almost like a, a receivership kind of uh, uh, control. I mean, in, in St. Louis City, up until 2013, St. Louis City was under, uh, the police department was actually under state control. And then there was a big fight for local control. That same issue right now is cropping up again in Kansas City. Because, uh, you know, there's protests going on there. Uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas is out there. I've been in contact with with him quite a bit, too, and watching what's happening. I've been sitting on meetings with the police board and community members. But it's interesting because Kansas City, uh, and it's one of the biggest cities in, in, in the country that still is under state control, does not have local control. There's a lot of talk about that from their city council because their ability to control what's happening locally is very limited. So it's, it's kind of almost, you know, trying to figure out what the best situation is, um, given whatever the particular circumstances are, because um, I'm sure in some places, 
having maybe that, that kind of receivership situation could be really beneficial, like in the example that you gave. Whereas in others, like right now in Kansas City, they are dying for more control uh, in order to be able to implement more policy reforms and whatever there might be on the local level. Those are great points. But I guess my point is, we, we, if, if things get really bad, we need to think of solutions. Right. And by the way, uh, another problem nationally is we have 18,000 state, local, and county law enforcement uh, office, um, uh, agents. If, if you were in uh, England or France, right here, the Western democracy, they, they would say that's crazy. We've taken federalism way too far. Mm. As you know, we have tiny little departments. What kind of management can they have? What kind of in chiefs? Uh, what kind of training? Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I agree it's an extreme uh, uh, solution, but what you need to be talking about this is part of the alternatives. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think I think that's a, uh, it's a it's a good proposal, especially in situations where it has gotten out of hand, and unfortunately, that's happening in, in quite a few places. Um, you know, I I. I uh, I know we talked a little bit about this, and then there's there's a good question in there too. I'm going to bring on the screen from Tahara. I haven't seen you forever, um, but uh, you know, one we talked about federalism a bit. Um, you know, we and and how the certification process right now is very state by state. Do you think that there should be a national database for certification for police officers? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I would call it a softball question because uh, some of your viewers may know that President Obama set up a task force on 21st century policing. They came up with a lot of recommendations, and my favorite recommendation was recommendation 2.15, which recommended that the Department of Justice set up national decertification index so that uh, if an officer is decertified in one state and tries to get certified in another, uh, that information would be available. Currently, the federal government, through the Department of Health and Human Services, has such a data bank on healthcare professionals who have been sanctioned, uh, you know, sanction imposed on them like loss of license, suspension, malpractice judgment or settlement, so that if that doctor or nurse tries to go to another state, the federal government has this database. And so I advocated in, in an article I wrote for Police Chief Magazine, and the, and the task force picked up on that, that the Department of Justice ought to do it. As I like to say, if the feds do it for docs, why not for cops? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was you know they both question. immense power over us, uh, and uh, so and I think when there's going to be a lot of discussion of that already, some of you may have seen that Julian Castro's come out for that, mm -hmm. uh, the Congressional Black Caucus, and there are debates this week that a lot of bills on on uh, police misconduct is, are going to be introduced, and my guess is that that will be part of the mix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we actually had um, some folks from uh, here in Missouri who are on that task force. Uh, Rasheen Aldridge, who's now a state representative and is uh, leading a protest as we speak right now, was uh, was a member. Um, and, uh, you know, he's certainly taken a lot of these issues uh, to Jefferson City um, and has been advocating quite a bit for, for more accountability for a long time. It's unfortunate that, you know, we had... We had Ferguson happen here. Obviously, we've had a lot of events happen before that. Unfortunately, we've had quite a few happen after. And there's been some progress made. Uh, we had a whole Ferguson Commission report. Uh, unfortunately, not too much of it has been implemented. And we'll have a, a podcast on that, too. You all want to pay attention to that one. That would be a good one. Um, but, yeah, it, it just, it, it's, I mean, for me, it's just so frustrating for all the folks who've been working so hard on this and all the folks who've been subjected to this to see how long it's taken 
to make some significant changes and how really little has changed in so many places. Um, that just, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because it really delegitimizes a lot of what our government's doing and a lot of people lose faith in it and uh, we have less participation as a result. So, um, Well, one of the positive things coming out of these recent demonstrations, though, is uh, something I've always believed in, which is uh, progressive chiefs and sheriffs, they are there, mm-hmm. are very, very interested in this uh, improvement uh, because it doesn't help them to have uh, terrible officers on their force um, and... Uh, uh, so uh, that's why when I uh, was with the ACLU and we got this bill through, I worked very closely with folks in the state legislature, with uh, uh, police people like Clarence Harmon. So it's one of those issues that, and you've seen chiefs marching with demonstrators. So it can be done, uh, uh, but you've got to anticipate that unions will be opposed. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, and we're actually seeing that play out quite a bit right now here. Um, it's been, I mean, it's been great. I think, you know, having, having participated in this for a, a good long time now, um, I think you're totally right. What's, what's been really positive to see is so many, especially police chiefs and those in administration, coming out in support of what's happening right now. That's something that we really didn't see uh, just a few years ago. Uh, I mean, in, in Audrain County over Mexico, Missouri, uh, the, the sheriff there was, was all about it and uh, was, was demanding accountability. And I, I don't know if that's something... I think it's a really positive step in, in the right direction in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I, to- I totally agree with what you just said. So. Yeah, I, I think that some sheriffs are, are, have indicated they would be in favor of having Post do the training. I didn't even mention that's another big, mm. that's the big job of the Post for uh, um, uh, corrections officers in the county jails to be trained by Post. So I think you, 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 your viewers would be surprised to realize there's goodwill on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I should have mentioned, too, that it was uh, Republican Governor um, John Ashcroft who signed the very good Missouri law in 1988 mm-hmm. into law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really should not be a partisan issue. It should be something that we can all really come together. I mean, you know, I've talked to a number of law enforcement officers. I've been talking to the uh, Ethical Society of Police, which is a predominantly black police union in St. Louis City. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of segregation even within the police unions. And we talked about that a bit too. Uh, but they, I mean, they've been calling for accountability for a long time and on a whole lot of other issues, reform. Um, you know, there's, there's, this is a question from uh, Tahara. I'm going to put this up on the screen. Uh, so she's asking, are there any police trainings uh, of racial profiling and bias and how to handle the approaches and with mental health disorders? Um, there, there, there is. And, you know, I actually had the opportunity to sit in on what's called uh, CIT uh, training, which is crisis intervention team training. I was invited to come out uh, by a a former officer who uh, has dedicated really the rest of his career to making sure that folks are getting higher quality training, Uh, has really been pushing for that. And I actually got to sit in through one of those trainings where they talked about cultural competency, understanding when somebody might not be able to communicate in the same way that you might uh, whether that's a language barrier or, you know, maybe there are some mental health challenges there, how to de-escalate those situations. And one of the most important and impactful things of that, of that whole class period that I was in, uh, two things. One was the conversation around mental health, not only from when you encounter somebody who's going through a crisis, but recognizing those issues within yourself as the officer. Because the last thing that you want is to be uh, unstable in what can be a very... Uh, uh, very itself unstable situation. 
So uh, that was a big thing. And the, the other thing that, was in, that really surprised me was I sat through it. And at the end, the officer, the former officer who, who brought me in said, um, did you think it was, it was worthwhile? I said, oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm so happy that the officers are getting this. I didn't know this was a thing. And he said, well, it's not mandatory. It is something that folks are volunteering to do. And unfortunately, some departments are more favorable to it. Others aren't. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that certainly with, with training, uh, we can do a whole lot better. I just wish that that training was available to a lot more officers. Um, right. Yeah. Let me stop you there because uh, post recently, maybe after Ferguson, uh, impo- uh, now requires, I think, yearly training on de-escalation, racial profiling, and uh, it should add uh, CIT. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of states are doing that. Uh, so that's what that's another valuable point, and it, and every officer has to go through that training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think, yeah. It, it's just you know, and, and and in some departments, unfortunately, it can often be a department by department issue there. Um, but it is good that there's a baseline standard for that through post. Um, right. You know, it's just some of. Unfortunately, there are some some departments that don't treat those trainings as responsibly as others. It's really, I mean, it's really impressive to walk into a police department and see folks who are taking that very seriously. On the flip side, it's very sad to see the opposite of that. And unfortunately, it is, it isn't uncommon. Um, but you know, there's, there's being, there's studies right now looking into how to best train folks on implicit bias and what the best ways to do that are. Um, we're trying to improve that all the time right now. Uh, by the way, I did teach the police academy a couple of years, uh, and uh, uh, just a, a little story about that uh, law professor coming in. The yeah. person I replaced, uh, he gave me his card, and his expertise was in defensive bicycle tactics. So not only is the question of you know what are the subject matter, who's doing the tree teaching too, and then how serious is it taken? You're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, yeah, so I, I, I mean, obviously training is going to be a very important piece of this, um, and then figuring out what's the most effective for folks is going to be the other side of that. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, in, in Minnesota, I know you mentioned that there are folks, you know, wh- when you look at different states and you compare them uh, to, I, I guess, what's, what's the difference that you see when somebody is, or when, when a state is implementing these decertifications at a higher rate, or maybe I, I, is that implemented better? Like, what, what are you seeing the differences in the different states having these de- decertification processes? So uh, that is really a great question. And by the way, that's the favorite question of reporters. <laughs> Professor Goldman, could sure. you tell us that states that have a very active decertification uh, program uh, are, uh, you know, have fewer incidents of police misconduct. Mm. Now, the good thing, my first answer is I'm just a law professor. You need to ask that to an empirical social science researcher, which is kind of a cop-out. But the, <laughs> the other thing I say is, would we ask that question, uh, is it a good idea to take away the license of doctors who take out the wrong kidney? Can you show us that a state that does do that, they have better doctors? We, we, and we don't ask that with other professions. I'm not just not saying it's not a legitimate question, but th- it just gets to the point we don't think of police as, in a way, being a profession. Mm. But, uh, of course, it is. Look at the power to search, to seize, to enter into your home, to use deadly force. And we ought to be treating those folks uh, at the highest level of and uh, just the way we do other professions that we would never ask should we 
you know, what's the result of a state that, uh, you know, that takes away the license of a lot of doctors? Mm-hmm. So, but it's a great question. And I, if you can answer the question, don't run for AG. You'd be a, make a lot of a lot of people have been telling me that. What are you doing? You can make a lot of money doing something else, but uh, well, not money, but it's very worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely right. I mean, that's uh, that would that would help quite a few people. Hey, you know what? Maybe we'll start a research division. I've talked about that a little bit too. A little research division at okay. the Attorney General's okay. office too. So, um, let's see. Oh, this is great question. Just came in, um, and Natalie, I'll, I'll come back to yours too. But I'm going to get this one. Uh, initial certification requirements. High school, um, and sometimes in some accelerated academies, it can take just a few months um, before you are uh, an officer in, in many situations. So, um, what, I mean, what are your views on on that? Do you think that there needs to be any reform in those situations? Okay, so the states are all over the place on that. Uh, Minnesota, which I did, you know told you is so terrible on the decertification side, is the only state uh, that requires college credits. Mm-hmm before you can enter. Uh, Many states at the entry level will disqualify you if, for example, you've had a bad conduct discharge from the armed services. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the issues is with respect to uh, disqualifications for uh, certain misdemeanors, uh, does that have an impact on uh, minority uh, folks who may have, you know, been entrapped or drug, minor drug offenses, especially now since, you know, possession is not really one. So there's some, I, I think we need, do need to look at these sort of automatic disqualifiers uh, that, you know, have just sort of stayed in the law. But it's a great question. Yes, there typically are uh, disqualifiers, uh, but high school tends to be enough. Um, and when, when I taught in the, in the police academy, I had several people who were, had graduate degrees, Mm. Uh, becoming police officers. But it's a good question because Philadelphia, I think, used to require college and they stopped it. That would be another interesting research project. Can we show that if you had, you know, you've gotten older, you've had college, you turn out to be a better police officer. There are just so many empirical questions that a law professor like me can't answer, but your audience might be able to. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good thing to look at to make sure, you know, that folks... Folks are, yeah. I mean, they're trained. They they know what they're doing. And unfortunately, you know, especially if you get folks who who might be a little bit younger, uh, and you know, you're just kind of giving them a badge and going, um, yeah. you know, that could that could certainly be an issue. So, and you know what that reminds me of? There's a big debate now uh, in what is the role of a what makes a good police officer. We used to think of the training tapes would show you're the warrior, but now the talk is you're the guardian. And that's a big debate, those two. What are we looking for in an officer? Uh, and the warrior mentality, uh, you know, that's the person, uh, you know, a hot shot out of high school, may not be as good as someone who wants to protect and serve, uh, who is the guardian. Big debate now in, in the police profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the CIT training that I was talking about before does deal a lot with um, folks who are um, uh, hearing impaired, also folks with different language barriers. So um, I'm going to ask, I'll, I'll see if, uh, if we can get somebody from uh, 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 that program to come on to and talk about it a bit. But Heather Taylor might have, um, might have some insight there as well. So, um, well, this, is, this has been really uh, helpful. I mean, we got through a lot of the questions here. Um, 
And uh, I know they're moving some stuff around, might get a little noisy back here. We are on site. This is really exciting for those of you who are tuning in late. This is our first one on site. It's also our first one with uh, Roger Goldman here. So I really appreciate you, you doing this. Um, is there any, I guess, given you know, the, the situation that we're in now, uh, a lot of us are hoping for some pretty significant change in our justice system. We've highlighted some things that are going well, even in Missouri. Uh, I know it, sometimes it's hard when you're in the middle of that to see it, but we've got some, some good programs going and some good legislation already. Obviously, we can improve a lot of things. But is there something that you would stress for folks to really look for, um, to really look to as we're making these changes moving forward? Well, I do think, uh, given the fact that when you see uh, chiefs marching with marchers and and uh, and supporting, uh, you know, uh, saying that it was just outrageous what uh, Chauvin had done, uh, that, you know, it, we've had a terrible situation, but I'm pretty hopeful that folks who haven't come together in the past might be able to. So uh, my wife accused me of being too much of an optimist, but uh, ho hopefully, I mean, you know, it, we did not get this law through in Missouri, but for the fact that we had this horrific uh, Russian roulette situation. Mm -hmm. So uh, never let a crisis like this go to waste. Yeah, take advantage, yeah. and, and uh, hopefully things will get better. Right. I mean, it's so many folks have been. I mean, so many folks have suffered, and and it would we we really cannot let that memory not be something that pushes us forward to do something better. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Well, I really appreciate you, you coming on um, and you doing it on such short notice. We should have you back as as we kind of progress through all of this. Um, you, know, you were super informative, and obviously you are the expert on all of this stuff too, so that's great. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming. I hope I hope it was helpful for you. Uh, you did a good job with the law school class question even. You got some people responding. Um, so thank, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Happy to do it. Thanks for joining us on the Alad Pod. You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at aladgross.live. You can reach me there, too, and I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Alad Gross, and I'll see you on the next Alad Podcast.